Hi, this is May. And I'm Joy. Welcome to the QWERTY Writing Life Podcast, where we have candid chats about our creative lives. May and I are friends, writers, and creatives who want to share our endeavors out loud. On this podcast, we're here to encourage each other, and you too, and share tools we've discovered or made up, so you can follow your passions with a little support. So grab your tea, or your coffee, and let's get started. Hello, everyone. It's another week. Hello, and welcome. This week, we're going to be talking about how our creative endeavors are just layered decisions on top of one another. Uh, But first, let's talk about our creative weeks. Joy, what did you do? Well, this past week, we took a little family trip to Orange Beach, and we had a wonderful time, and we were there before Hurricane Sally came and made a giant mess of everything. Um, So I just first have to say to everybody in that area that I'm praying for you guys and thinking about y'all, and it's it's a big mess there right now. So I hope you guys will just kind of keep them in your thoughts and prayers, too. Um, A lot of the places that we had a lot of fun at last week are not standing right now. So that's a little bit surreal. Um, And of course, I have family in that area, too. So anyway, but with all that being said, um, I think that probably my creative thing from the week would have been taking some family photos at the beach. And I did that my uh, my in-laws. We were with my in-laws and my kids and... Uh, Nona wanted to get pictures with her babies, so uh, I took some pictures of them, and we got Papa down there, too, and (laughs) they didn't think that Papa would take pictures with them, but you know what? I made it happen, so, (laughs) and I think that they're super cute. I am (laughs) magic. It's the whole creative thing. (laughs) No, but I think they had fun doing that, so that was fun. Yeah, so what about you? Tell me about your creative week. Well, I have an interesting creative thing for the week. So there was one thing at work that I really needed to be able to do. Mm-hmm. And um, and I wasn't able to do it in the way that I thought I was going to be able to do it, which would have been like the straight path from point A to point B, straight path. It would have been the shortest way to get that thing done. And when I wasn't able to, to get the results that I thought that or what I needed. And it was more of like, it wasn't like I can't get the results. It was like super bad roadblock, like not even able to get to point B. So I had to figure out another way to do it, which ended up being a really creative thing. So I can't tell you the details of it because it was all worky things, but um, I was able to come up with a different path, which actually at the end of the day, even though the road is a bit zigzagged to my, to my destination, it is going to give us more information and be more helpful than the original solution would have been. So I know I love you. And I kept thinking, pivot. Yes. I feel like that should just be the word of the year, right? (laughs) I know. But it also made me think of this uh, podcast episode, too, because it was just another little decision that I had to make. And whenever one decision didn't work, I I made another one. And, And it was just a layering of decisions to get to the end result that I needed, which brings us right into our topic. 
<laughs> there you go. That's perfect. Mm-hmm. Oh, yes. And before we get to our topic, there is an announcement we would like to make. Joy, you want to go for it? Oh, yeah. So September, in case you guys didn't know, September is Library Card Sign Up Month. Okay, so if you don't already have a library card, ah, shame on you. You just don't even know what you're missing out on. But I hope you'll go and get your library card or encourage someone you know, um, especially some of the kids in your life. Take them mm-hmm. to get their library cards this month. And, you know, all of our fantastic libraries make a big deal out of this. And they make it really special, especially for the kids who get their first library cards in this month. Um, I looked up, and this is super, super short, but I just had to share a little of the history about this. Um, this came from the American Library Association.org, and we'll link to this below because you're going to want to check it out. They've got all sorts of things that you can do, um, even like some sort of a bingo thing and all sorts of fun printables and stuff. Anyway, just go to the go to the link that we're putting down there. You'll see all sorts of stuff. But the history is that the campaign started in 1987 as a response to then Secretary of Education William Bennett, who stated, let's have a campaign. Every child should obtain a library card and use it. And I love those last three words. (laughs) So we thought that we would just give a little shout out to some special librarians or libraries in our lives. Do you want to go first for us? I do. I'd love to. Uh, so I go to the Hattiesburg Public Library and the Petal Public Library, and it's the same library card for both of those. I also use the online services that the libraries have too. So mm-hmm. audiobooks and, and ebooks online through the library, they are amazing. So even if you can't get to the physical library at that very moment, you can still find a wonderful book to read or listen to through the apps. Um, the librarian that I would like to give a shout out to is Ms. Nicole Aranda, and she is a fabulous librarian at the William Carey University Library on, on the Hattiesburg campus. And my little story about Nicole is that she, she well, she's a good friend too, um, but also when it was getting time to go home at the beginning of quarantine around March the 12th, I ran over to the library and I was like, Nicole, we're going to have the kids at home. TV's not going to be enough, man. I need, I need some books. (laughs) (laughs) Give me the books. (laughs) Give me the books because I didn't want them to like, I didn't want their brains to melt in front of the television either. So I was like, this will help because they love books. They love the stories and uh, it'll be a, a nice diversion. So she hooked me up with like 12 books that she um, knew and loved. And my boys also loved them as well when we introduced them to her. Mm-hmm. So thank you, Nicole. You're amazing. <laughs> that's so special. I love it. And that's, I have three that I'm going to shout out to by name, three librarians and they're children's librarians as well. Children's librarians are just so special guys. They really are. Mm. Uh, so we go to the St. Tammany Parish Library System, which is a whole bunch of different branches in our parish because I'm in Louisiana, so we don't have counties like the rest of the U.S. We're special. Anyway, <laughs> so um, at our particular branch that we go to most often is the Slidell Robert Road branch. And I was thinking, I, I think it was probably two or three summers ago when we were doing summer reading, it kind of hit me. 
my kids had really grown up in that library. And it just kind of struck me. And, you know, I had one of those little um, sappy mama moments, right? <laughs> but there are three children's librarians that they have just loved and adored and still hold a very special place in our hearts. And that's Miss Mim. And she was the very first one. In fact, I would probably say she was my first friend here in Slidell when we moved here. Um, oh, because I mean, that was like the first thing that I found was the library. Right. So, yeah. um, Miss Mim was absolutely adorable. Kids loved her. And then when she retired, Miss Jen took over and she was just a bundle of energy and so much fun, so many great programs. And she is, has taken that energy to a school, a nearby elementary school where she's the librarian there. And now we have Miss Alexis. And so we have just been blessed with three absolutely wonderful children's librarians just at our little branch. And we've got a whole bunch of branches in our parish. So they're all phenomenal. So if you want your own personal librarian story, go get you a library card. Exactly. <laughs> and you will find... On this day of days. <laughs> yes, you will find that like everyone who works in a library is just wonderful. And they all love stories, and there's just something special about that. So go get you a library card during the National Library Card Sign-Up Month. Nope. You won't regret it. <laughs> nope. nope. <laughs> all right. So diving back into our topic for tonight, talking about layers of creative decisions. So yes. as creatives, our days are just filled with decisions, right? Mm. Um, we have time decisions, like how much time do we devote to our creative projects versus our day jobs versus our families and friends? <laughs> That's a big one. Business decisions. How much revenue should I invest in advertising? You know, things like that. And then specifically creative decisions like, as a writer, do I keep this character and develop them more? Or do I cut them out and give their important roles to another character or characters? Um, if you're an artist, what colors do I use? What brushstrokes should I use? Um, as a musician, musician, <laughs> should I play this stanza slowly or make it a gradual crescendo? You know, all of these decisions that we make throughout the day. Yeah, and so I was listening to Kim Halzabia. She did a live Facebook video of her process of like how she's she made a canvas so she's an artist and we interviewed her in season one mm -hmm. uh, I think she was our first interview if I recall correctly she was for the yeah. party writing life podcast yeah so I was watching her Facebook live video and it really kind of sparked this thought into me so she did this Facebook live where she was working on a painting and she was using um ideas from the live comments so she was saying well what do you think about or you know what do you think this looks like and she's an abstract artist and, and she does real life paintings and things too but um at the time she was working on, on more of an abstract painting and so she would ask the questions to the people who are watching the live video like what do you see like what do you think here do you like this this way or should we flip it you know horizontally or should we flip it to a vertical situation so she was kind of asking all of these questions and she was using it as an example of how many decisions she has to make whenever she is creating a piece so around the 11 minute mark in the video and the link is in the in the show notes and around 11 minutes she said something uh to the effect of um like 
she said that her paintings are something like a lay, uh, layers of decisions. So whenever you look at a final piece, it's just layers of decisions. And she can't start a painting knowing what the whole thing will look like at the end, but she can start it uh, like a base on a canvas from one decision and then two decisions and and then um, then she can decide what portion of the canvas that she wants to develop even further. So then she'll develop that for a little bit more and then she'll make another decision about another part of the canvas. And it just got me thinking about creativity in general. So my thought as she was saying this was um, that she's not sectioning off the painting completely because there's color spreading outside of the decision area, which affects future decisions, right? So it's kind of like a rough draft or a sketch before you start a painting or, you know, an ingredients list or something like that if you're, if you're a chef. Um, so her projects are just little decisions over and over and over again until it's done. There are no more decisions to make. Regardless of our creative process or style, we all begin with some sort of ghost or shadow knowledge of what we're making. And our first decision is almost the most important. It's just that inkling that gets us to pick up our, our skills and begin making something. So what colors we, are we gonna choose? Like what the, the colors that inspired you to even pick up paint or a paintbrush or something like that? Um, what shapes are we dreaming of? What feelings do we want to capture? What theme do we want to explore? And that is, that's the first, and I just, like, I named it shadow knowledge because I thought it was a cool thing to say. <laughs> I like that. <laughs> so I was like, this is kind of our shadow knowledge of what the project's going to be. But again, we still don't know exactly what that looks like because we haven't made all of our little decisions yet, right? But from the shadow knowledge, we can pick a spot where we want to start that decision-making process. We begin with something, something detailed or minuscule, and we build from there. We're not going to say that all of our decisions that we make in this process are going to stick. Um, however, they are very important even if they aren't able to be viewed in the final product. So we need a foundation that is strong enough to build a full work on, but that is also malleable enough to be molded into its best end product. So one of the examples that I have is actually not a writing example. Um, it is a jewelry making example. And when I am making jewelry, I'm generally inspired by the beads that I start, that I'm, I'm making jewelry with. So whether it's a cloisonne bead or um, a wooden bead or an enamel situation, whatever it is, like the whole, the whole idea of the project starts with that inspiration. And then I make a decision on what kind of wire do I want to use? Do I want it to be gold filled or sterling silver or um, dead soft? Or do I want it to be harder so I can, you know, make these really cool things with it? So every decision builds on the beads <laughs> so, but the beads are generally that first spark that shadow knowledge of what the project's going to be joy do you have an example of this kind of thing i do i have a writing one i just i love your example because i never would have thought about that because i don't make jewelry so i never would have thought about that but it makes perfect sense the beads inspire you i love it 
Mm-hmm. <laughs> All right. So for me, um, I was thinking about Any Good Thing, my first novel, and the that whole story sparked from a true tragic accident. And when I read about this thing that happened, um, it led me to ask a lot of what ifs. Okay. And so just what if after what if after what if. And from there, it just grew into this whole story. But at the center of it all was a young man with a less than spotless past who had more than his share of tough breaks on top of all that. Um, I knew certain things, okay, so I knew that one tragic accident. I also knew what his response to that was going to be. And as a result, I also knew bits and pieces of his background and why he was going to have a whole town against him surrounding this whole thing. So I kind of had to work my way forward and backward and back and forth a little bit um, to kind of unravel all of this. I didn't know for certain the end of the story when I started. Um, Soon into drafting, I thought I knew, uh, but it changed. It became much clearer as his story unfolded, and more specifically as the surrounding characters, including one pivotal offstage character, became more real to me. Uh, That's when... I was able to know the ending. And that's how Jack Calhoun's story came to be. So it was layers and it was lots of decisions. Yeah. And so now when you look back, can you, you can, it sounds like you can pinpoint some of those decisions that you had to make in order for the story to be what it is. And this is just a really cool thought to me because if Kim would have chosen a different corner, Mm-hmm. or a different area to focus on, those decisions would have been different and she would have an entirely different end product. For you and your book, if you would have decided to um, start in a different area for your character development or if you would have you know, chosen a different path for Jack or even just a small thing too, like what if the town was forgiving? You know, mm-hmm. like... That's a whole different story, book. Yeah. It's a whole different book, right? So these decisions are so interesting because, yes, they're tiny and small, but they are so very important because it it is directing the path of the end product, basically. Yeah. So, yeah, I like it. I like it a lot. So our second point after the the whole spark of interest and that shadow knowledge is going to be the layers of decisions and just picking a spot and going. And we just talked about how your decisions, you know, if you choose something different, it could be an entirely different in product, which is kind of cool if you think about it, because anything could be a a thousand different ways, but this is the way that you're making it right now. So as a writer and an artist, it can be overwhelming to consider the end product of what you want whenever you have this elementary kind of base coat um, in front of you. But if we consider that the masterpieces are just thousands and thousands of small decisions and that a beach is just thousands and thousands of spoonfuls of sand, we can decide our way to complete our project one little tiny piece at a time. And so just don't be afraid of the little decisions that you have to make in order to complete your project. Which brings us to our third point, and that is successes and failures build the structure of your project. So Kim had this really cool analogy at the beginning of her live video about how working on a project is like walking a fence line. There's a point where you can fall off to the left and your piece is trash. (laughs) You can also fall off to the right and it's 
your own personal masterpiece. But if you're not willing to take the risk of falling off the fence line at all, then you'll never have the opportunity to fall off to the right and have your own personal masterpiece. Mm. So I thought that was a really, really great analogy. So like Kim's example, we have to be willing to balance our own weight. So our hopes, our insecurities, our wins and our challenges, as well as the project on the fence and take chances that will either bring fantastic successes or fantastic failures. We can't know until we try, right? And either way we learn. So the fall may hurt a little bit, but if you decide to get it back on your feet, and climb back onto the fence rail, you win. I have a little, I guess I have a little example of that in writing. Um, and Joy actually brought this to my attention. So it took me a really long time to figure out a POV for my novel. And I started it in third person. And then I went back and I rewrote like a chapter or three <laughs> in first person. And then I was like, no, nope, I'm going back to third person. So I went back to third person and Joy was like, I really think I like it in first person. So I went back to first person. And, um, and this was all like first, first and third person with two, um, with two POVs. And, uh, and so finally, finally, it's first person with one POV. <laughs> so, <laughs> That's my next try for this particular book. And I say finally, and it might not be finally. We'll find out whenever it's published. <laughs> so, <laughs> and it gets easier every time. I'll go ahead and tell you that, you know, because the more that you do something, even if it's failing, you know, you, you, you get back up faster every single time. So, Joy, do you have an example of this? Um, yeah, I think... So for this part, thinking about the successes and failures and, and all of that, um, I think for me it was just publishing. And what I mean by that is um, you kind of get to a point. So you've made all of these layers of decisions, right? And whenever we talk about layers, I always think about revising and editing because that's what that entire process is. It's layering. Um, so you go through all of this. You have your work the best it can possibly be, right? but you just have to toss it into the world at some point. Like at some point yeah. you're done, you're done making those decisions and it's time for you to release that into the world. And at that point, mm -hmm. there's nothing more you can do. You've done your work and you just have to put it out there. And I think especially for your first book, um, I mean, yes, to some extent, I think that this feeling will always be there regardless of how many books I put out. But especially with that first one, you're not going to know what people think of you until it's out where someone who doesn't know anything about you, who doesn't care about you, who doesn't care about the hours that you spent developing this story, what they might think of your writing, you know? And so I think that that was just kind of the thing. I just had to let it go and be okay with whatever people thought. And I did. It, it's interesting. Like there was actually a moment where I realized I was okay I was okay to let it go. Um, and yeah. so I think that that's something that, that every creative has to get to a point mm -hmm. like that, where you understand that you have made those creative decisions and you've put that work in and you've done what you can do and it's time to let it mm -hmm. soar. So, yeah. Oh, such a good point. I'm so glad you brought that up. Just a little reminder that our time here on this planet is finite 
and that if you want to make more than one project, you are going to have to let it go eventually. So yes, it does take thousands of little decisions, but eventually you have to say enough and just let it go. And finally, we are going to talk a little bit about practicing. So making decisions is hard. We talked about that at the beginning, right? Even if it's trying to decide what you're going to have for dinner or how you're going to spend your time, decisions are hard. And we make a ton of them all the time. And we can get that decision fatigue where we just can't fathom making one more decision. And sometimes that's one way that we have trouble with our creative endeavors because we're just so tired in our regular life. Uh, so we can develop ways to make our decisions a little bit easier. And some of that is like bulk decision making. So meal prep, for example, is a, is a bulk decision maker. So you decide all of your meals in one go and then you just follow the, the plan that you made. And that can help. Those kind of things can help relieve the number of decisions that you have to make in a day. And if you can do some of that bulk decision making, that's great. So creative endeavors are a little bit different there because we're talking about these little decisions that we're making all over this project, right? So there's not a lot of bulk decision making that you can do. You can do some of that in writing, I think, because you're making these decisions about your characters. So if you can go ahead and decide how your characters are going to be throughout the story, what their arc is, what they're going to potentially end up as at the end of it. Maybe, maybe it turns out differently, but at least if you have a, an, a way that you're going that way, then that can kind of be some bold decision making. But we do need to practice these, the, this area, this, this area, not only of decision making, but also of taking the risk and walking the fence line. So gymnasts don't hop on a balance beam and strut all the way to the, the end the very first time, right? They practice. So for artists, practice can come in in a skill category because you definitely should be a learner of your medium um, constantly. So yes, we need to, to do that in our, in our mediums, but also the balance gets better when you practice. So I'm not necessarily talking about like, can you finish a project and have clean laundry at the same time? The answer to that is no, you can't. No. So <laughs> ask us how we know. <laughs> and if you can, don't tell us. So <laughs> but um, I'm speaking more on balancing the act of creating with your internal dialogue and your emotions. So creating is hard, man. Uh, it reveals things about yourself that you, that either can like make you float away or it can also dig up things that can petrify you on the fence post um, or even cause you to quit, like just turn around, go back to the start and say, nope, not doing this at all. <laughs> so you kind of have to be a warrior to create. You're constantly... Uh, reflecting and finding new things. You're diving deep in, uh, into yourself to link a piece of you to your project. And sometimes those pieces aren't very pretty. But be brave. Like Be brave enough to practice the hard stuff too. And you'll get better at that as well. 
Oh, that's a great point. Yeah. And I think practice also comes into play with what we talked about with the successes and failures. And this is what kind of came to my mind when we were kind of going through all of this and thinking through it. Um, <laughs> my dog is whimpering in her sleep. <laughs> she's having a dream. <laughs> I don't know. She's probably eating a snake in her dream. Anyway. <laughs> so what I was thinking about is far as practice with the successes and failures is, you know, you've got to be able to embrace those failures because not only do you learn something, you know, you should be learning something from those failures, but you're also learning that it's not the end of the world when you do have a failure, you know, and that there's life after yeah. that failure that will lead to future successes, you know? Mm -hmm. And so I think that that's a practice too. You kind of have to practice that. That doesn't come naturally, I don't think. No, there is a trend that I don't really love in the world, but it is definitely a fact if, if I look back on my life and, and take stock, which is something we do here on the Pretty Writing Life podcast. <laughs> so, <laughs> and the trend is that the most pivotal and integral lessons that I have learned have not come from successes. They've actually come from failures yeah. and sometimes they hurt a lot and they're, and they're not fun. The things that have changed me for the better the most have actually been lessons from failures. Mm. So again, I don't love that that's the way that things are in the world but I don't think I'm the only one who feels that way. Yeah, you're definitely so, not alone. I'm with you on that. So I don't think that we should be scared of failures the way that we, we are as a society in some cases. Um, they do hurt your pride, man. Oh, man, if there's, if there's anything that it hurts the worst, it's your pride, right? Yeah. But on the other side of that, is like you're a better person you're a better creator you're a better mother you're a better partner you're a better friend your relationships are better and and I think that that also comes in creativity as we are making things as we succeed but more so as we fail and we learn things about ourselves we learn that we're resilient we learn that we are persistent we learn that we are passionate we learn that we are self-motivated. These are things that are characteristics about ourselves that I don't think we know until we fail. Yeah. There's my two cents. <laughs> Those are some good two cents. That was about $20 <laughs> worth of two cents. <laughs> this was supposed to be a light episode, and I'm like slamming it down with the bricks. So <laughs> should we do the QWERTY challenge, Joy? Yeah, go for it. Okay. So think back on the process of a project that you finished. Can you identify some of the small decisions you had to make and which ones built on top of each other to create the final project and which ones are hidden ones that you can't see at the first glance? Some projects have a recipe, a blueprint, or a plan, but each decision you made around the plan infused you to the end result. Have you considered the layers of decisions in creative work before? If not, as you are working on your current problem, observe how this theory is proven true or false. 
give us an email at editorial at logosandmythospress.com and start up a conversation. We'd love to hear from you all about your layers of decisions and your creative work. Well, you guys have a great week and we'll see you next time. Go make something. <laughs> Bye. Bye. Thanks for listening until the end. Seriously, you're a trooper. Do you think pretty writing life is the bomb? May, you just said the bomb. Don't you censor me. If you think Cordy Writing Life rocks ice for real, oh my word. please rate, review, and share us with others. If you have questions about this week's episode or want to start a conversation, you can reach us by visiting partywritinglife.podbean.com. We'll be back next week with more candid chats for you.